Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Sacred Emergence. I am so, so, so thrilled to introduce you to a dear friend of mine, Sarah Grady, who is a doula and a Koya teacher and so much more. (laughs) So much amazing. Um, And welcome, welcome to the show, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So uh, right now you are currently in North Carolina um, and you and I met actually in LA through our Koya teacher training. Ah! Mm-hmm. So many years ago. <laughs> I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> so it's like crazy wild. Um, and it was such a beautiful, it was like three of us plus Rochelle, the um, yeah. leader. And, um, and it's been so fun, so fun just, you know, connecting with you, knowing you, uh, mm. and even before the start of our interviews, like we haven't spoken to each other probably for like over a year. Yeah. But every time we are in touch, it's like nothing really has, like time hasn't really passed really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so. the beauty of, um, actual sisterhood. Mm. You know, somebody asked me the other day, like when you moved back to North Carolina, did you have like trouble meeting new friends or, you know, how have you found the women here? And I'm like, look, I have, that's like the most naturally occurring resource in my life is powerful fucking women. And Mm. I kind of don't have time or space to do it any other way. So like, you're either my sister or you're not. And Michelle, you my sister for life. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I just think that that's the power of, um, you know, meeting people through intentional practices like Koya or yoga or uh, mm. spirituality. So, yeah. Totally. Well, we have a juicy topic to dive into today. When you, you know, share like, you know, <laughs> we should talk about remothering and uh, healing ancestral trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be a good one. I really liked it because I think so many of us, especially as women, like we have uh, so much healing to do with our mothers. I know I do. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Lifetime's worth. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and like, it was just like the latest story, like the latest story, like the latest conversation I had with my mom. Right. And it's like, it's not even a trigger anymore, but it's just like, these keep happening subconsciously for not aware of like mm-hmm. things that can be taught or passed down to us that we don't even realize, um, through our moms and also mm-hmm. just the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so there's, there's so much to unpack with, um, the mother wound. Right. And, um, there's like, the individual wounding that we have with our own birth mothers or adoptive mothers. And then there's like the larger meta mother wound of that real sense of separation from mother earth, from source consciousness, God, goddess, whatever you want to call that. And, um, and they're both important to examine because they both inform the other. And I find that, you can heal one 
through the healing of the other. Mm. And I've just recently begun to do this in my life. Um, and it's funny, like in between the time that we decided to do this podcast together and now I had actually experienced a re-wounding with my mother, but it, it landed so differently because I've done the work that I've done. So I wanted to, to talk to you and your listeners about that because I found some really powerful practices and gateways for navigating that wound, which is really like a universal wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's go right in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. So um, I think it's important to name that um, where this journey for me around healing the mother wound actually came through like physical journeys of moving all over the country and the world actually. Um, and then finally making a pilgrimage to the land that all of my people come from, which is Ireland. Um, and so I grew up in Cary, North Carolina. My parents divorced when I was young and I just, I really struggled in my relationship with my mom because I never felt like she saw me or she heard me. And I felt like I was going crazy as a young kid and as a teen of just like, why am I not good enough for you? Like, why can't you see all that I am? You know, I'm like literally and metaphorically tap dancing for you. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. hello. Yeah. You know? And I realized at a certain point, like, she might not ever be able to. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the language for that then that I have now. Um, But what I knew that I needed to do to save myself from the constant daily triggering of not being seen and heard and therefore valued um, was I needed to leave. And so at age 18, I began my heroine's journey and I left for college. Um, I went to Emerson College in Boston and studied theater arts. And, um, and that was the first time I remember landing in Boston. And it was the first time I felt like I could breathe. It was the first time I felt like I was around other people like me. And it was the first time that I felt at home in my body and in myself. Mm. And my whole system, my whole nervous system just did a massive exhale. Mm. And I would say that at 18, I kind of started living. Oh, wow. And you felt at home because of the people you were around? Like it mm-hmm. was just because you could be yourself? Yeah, it was twofold. You know, I was in art school, so I was around other theater artists and dancers, performers. And that was a real homecoming for me. Um, but it was also about living in a major city. Mm. and being deeply connected to the the earth that I was walking on every day and the rhythms and the pulse and the the music and the food and the smells and in short the aliveness yeah and that was really important for me because I grew up in suburban North Carolina with a ton of subdivisions and strip malls and I always felt like something was lacking like I was going crazy I'm like where is their actual life because it's not here (laughs) And I couldn't understand why my parents would have chosen that. Um, And I couldn't understand why my mom, who I didn't feel seen or heard by, like also was angry at me for wanting something more, Mm. for needing something more. Um, And so 
I left and I experienced that first like blossoming um, and healing that happened for me in Boston. And also I would say for most artists, probably they would, they would agree with this. It's like when you uh, have the privilege of studying an art form, which you're also studying on a meta level is presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that presence was a real gift you know, for me to be cultivating in myself, but to be surrounded by other people who were doing the same. Mm. Um, yeah. And so from college, I graduated college early and I moved to Los Angeles and worked for, um, PBS in LA for a few years. I had no idea. (laughs) Really? Oh, that's wild. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I'm like a super Irish white girl, right? But like from a very young age, always wanted to speak Spanish, was obsessed with like Latino culture and music and food. And I honestly felt like I was born in the wrong lineage, the wrong body. I was like, why is my skin white? Why do these people only speak English? I don't understand. <laughs> and um, so it was such a godsend when um, a professor of mine was a producer for this show. And she was like, look, I can't guarantee you a job, but i um, I just have a feeling that you should fly out to LA and interview for this show. And I got it mm-hmm. and it was such a blessing. Um, and so it was a bilingual talk show, English and Spanish. Um, and it was all centered around early childhood education issues. And it was really like the view, um, but for mothers. Wow. Um, talking about mothering and raising kids and doing like, um, you know, work with the young kids in their homes. And so that really started my career of working with women Mm. and listening to their stories, celebrating what they were doing in the community, and then finding a way to elevate them both on television and then when we weren't in production, um, organizing, you know, events around the country to to honor them. That's awesome. That's so cool. I didn't know they had us like a show for that. Yeah. I don't watch PBS, but you know. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. I think we had a contract for like three or four years. It was called A Place of Our Own, Y Los Niños en Su Casa. And it was it was so transformational for me for many reasons, but one of which was that KCET, the local PBS station I worked for, was mostly run by women. Mm. So it was a show by women, for women, about women. Um, and it gave me the real sense of empowerment that I I could do what I wanted to do as a woman. Mm. Um and so that was healing for me too, yeah. in talking to other women and talking to mothers and seeing how they were raising their kids and how they cared about the kids in their world. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, from LA, I actually moved to Chile and I taught English for a year in Patagonia. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, you're learning all these things about me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess can you like, you. I knew you from Koya and after everything. Yeah. Is like <laughs> the through lines are that. So I should say is like, I started dancing at age three. So I've been a dancer okay. my whole life and that's how I found my way back to Koya. Um, but I've, you know, been speaking Spanish since I was in kindergarten and um, yeah. And so I left LA cause the contract for the show was up and they offered me like an admin position at the station. And I was like, no, I'm not here for that. (laughs) And I really, I've always had the travel bug. And so I ended up getting a job um, through the Chilean Ministry of Education and the UN had a program and I taught English for a year in Patagonia. And what I realized very quickly was that my students, they didn't want to learn English. They could care less. These were like really underprivileged kids who needed 
like honestly a mother figure. Mm. They needed somebody to hug them. They needed somebody to listen to them. They needed um, a warm meal and a safe haven away from some of the abuse and things that were happening in the village. And through a series of synchronicities that actually prompted me to come back to the United States and go to grad school to become a therapist. Um, And so I moved to San Francisco, went to the California Institute of Integral Studies and got my master's in drama therapy because I wanted to bridge the art form of theater and all that it had helped heal in me and merge that with therapy, with therapeutics. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, <laughs> as life often has a plot twist, you know, it's like we think we're going into something for one reason and then life shows us mm-hmm. right, what, what that other reason is. Um, so I'll just share that you know, because of my bilingual skills, I was paired up with mostly uh, Latino families in the Bay Area and doing really intensive in-home therapy and um, residential treatment facility work uh, for at-risk youth. And there was just complex trauma going on for all these kids, right? Um, And a lot of them living in single parent homes, mostly single mothers, but sometimes uh, single fathers. And there was so much that I felt restricted by as far as this, the system of mm-hmm. community mental health was allowing me to do and not do. And, and I was burning out pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um, and I noticed that my body was responding to this burnout. And one of the things was that I started to get lumps in my breast. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, the breast is this part of the body so deeply connected to the mother archetype. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful that, you know, several doctors visits later, they're like, you're fine, but can we help you with your anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> and that my body was just really responding to a pattern of mothering and, and, and giving and over giving and under receiving. Mm. Um, right. I was, mothering everyone else around me, all of my clients, my friends, my colleagues. And I wasn't receiving that in return. Yeah. And, um, and so at that point I really was like, okay, something's got to shift. And after all these years of like hustling in all these major cities and connecting with, with mothers and all these different capacities, um, and really going through lots of undulations with my own mother throughout the process, I was like, I have some big healing to do. So that was a lot. And take a breath. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. I actually didn't know all of that. Um, mm. And I feel like there is, like you, had, you said, dance is a through line. Well, I would like same with like the mother and the child theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And really just women. Like Mm -hmm. I think one thing I'm very grateful to my mom for though, is that she really raised me to be a strong woman and to not take shit from anyone. And, um, and so I've always found myself professionally working with women and trying to figure out what is the best container for me to show up in support of women and their bodies and their families, but that is also sustainable for me. Yes. Yes. The sustainable piece for sure. Yeah. And I speak that um, kind of before I share a little bit more of my journey, because um, 
earlier when you introduced me and we were talking about like uh, ancestral patterns, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest patterns that I received in utero from my mom was like unbelievable hard work. You just work hard Mm. and you don't get to have any feelings about that. Mm. You overgive and your, your value, your worth is based on how much you're doing and you're giving not who you're being. Mm. So I have two questions. Yes. <laughs> how, did you, how did you come to that? Like, how did you realize that? Was it through like journeying or through the tools that you, you might talk about in this episode? Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one, it's not a question. It's just an observation. Like that is pretty masculine. You know, it's ironic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, so kind of the beauty of going to grad school to become a psychotherapist is like, you have to do all the exercises on yourself that you would do with a client. (laughs) So I mean, God damn, I I paid a lot of money basically for really intensive therapy for three years of my life. (laughs) Um, And so I worked my ancestral programming and trauma pretty hard from both my maternal side and those messages and also my paternal. And, um, you know, in the, the mezcla that is the United States, it's actually pretty rare to like have a lineage that's pretty uniform. And so to have both an Irish maternal and paternal lineage to draw from Mm. was interesting for me because the Irish were, you know, so oppressed within their own country, but then also when they came to the United States were, you know, enslaved, they were treated as second class citizens, citizens. And, and this is common of, many waves of immigration I Mm -hmm. want to name um but we were some of the first waves and that lives in the DNA Mm. that lives in the cellular memory of people and when you don't know that you're worthy or good enough unless you literally work yourself into the ground you just perpetuate that that is the only way to um effectively attain two things, safety and success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hmm, what would, what feels important to say about that? I was always such a, an overachiever as a kid, I think as a result, because I really got so much praise in my family system for like being an obscenely straight A student and being captain of everything and <laughs> all the extracurriculars. And it was just like, wow, like I legitimately, I was burnt out by age 18. Mm. Um, And even going to theater school, like I approached it in a very masculine achievement oriented way. Yeah. And, um, and I realized at some point as I was burning out as a therapist that like, even though I had on the outside looking in, followed my passions through dance and theater and film and television and now counseling psychology, my approach to it, was the same damn way that my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my ancestors had all done it. Hmm. And it was literally harming my body and soul. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that is good. Like that awareness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 And so at that point, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who's um, a healer and she was like, two things. 
Um, you've been a doula for so many lifetimes. It's not even funny. So you should seriously look into that as a career change. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and instantly had like chills and tears all over my body. I was like, yep, cool. That's the thing. <laughs> and, um, and then she was like, and when did you stop dancing? And why are you not incorporating that dance into the work that you do? Wow. I like this girl. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. And I actually met her my freshman year of theater school. Um, we were roommates, dear Katie Morgan. I love her so much. And and it was from that conversation that I immediately hopped online and started looking at dance movement forms to train in. And I found a video of Rochelle and like their rest mm. history. And I was like, yeah, it's supposed to be a Koya teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, Love so, it. Um, really my desire for, um, for healing and remothering myself was because my body was not going to let me do it any other way. Mm. I was so exhausted um, every day and it was just getting harder and harder to function. And, you know, I was doing this all on the West coast. I was seeing my, my entire family, which lives on the East coast. Like I was seeing them once or twice a year for the holidays and it was hard to convey to them what my day-to-day reality was like. And to them, it was like, well, you just keep pushing. <laughs> You know, you just keep pushing. You just, yeah. it, you know, you don't get to live life from a soulful place. You don't get to take a gap year, Sarah. Like, you know, there's just, there were certain limiting beliefs that were passed down to me. And, um, and so I knew that if I was going to change, I was going to have to do that. Yeah. And I think that's the root of remothering. Mm. So we all have the relationship that we have with our biological or adopted mom. And, and often the, that relationship looks like our mom's relationship with their moms or a response to that. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, well, at some point I had to, I had to start examining um, why my mom was the way she was. And when I started to peel back the layers and see like, well, she's an adult child of an alcoholic. Actually, both of my parents are. And we're pretty stereotypically Irish in that sense of like, there's a lot of alcoholism and addiction that runs through our family. And, um, you know, one of my grandfathers checked himself into rehab when I was two. I mean, it's got fresh in their psyche. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mom never felt seen or heard. She was literally just trying to survive in a trauma soup every day. So she didn't, ever cultivate the tools to do that um and she also didn't choose to cultivate the tools to a heal herself or to know how to see and hear her own daughter Mm -hmm. um and so i have a lot of compassion for my mom um but just because i have compassion for what it is that she has survived and how far she's come from that doesn't mean that somehow I put my own needs aside for um, loving, you know, feeling loved and seen and held and nurtured and like all the things that we think about in the mother archetype. Right. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. Like my mom, she, she's really great in certain ways. Like I go through a breakup with a boyfriend, man, next day, she's got a little black dress for me and a fresh bottle of wine. And she's like, (laughs) girlfriend, come sit down and talk. Um, you know, but if I have something, you know, really deep in my soul that I want to discuss, like she can't hold it Mm. 
because she didn't get that holding. Yeah. So part of it, she probably doesn't know how. She doesn't know how. Yeah. Yeah. And so I realized that like, I didn't want to continue to blame her the rest of my life for not getting what I needed. Mm -hmm. And that as an adult, it was my responsibility to cultivate that for myself. And that is simultaneously liberating and heartbreaking. I know. (laughs) It's like, even as you said that, I was like, yeah. (laughs) Time to be a grown-up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really, though. And, um, and, And I was so grateful for all the tools I learned in therapy and also for just watching other moms in the world. And it was like, okay, well, when I'm going through an experience, it's really hard. Like, what are the things that make me feel seen and held and heard and safe and nourished? And for me, often those things um, either look like some form of embodiment. So dancing, running, walking, um, moving in nature somewhere. Um, But the other thing was that I started to source mother in other people. And often mother looks like sister. Mm other women who also moving through their own mother wounds somehow coming together and having these incredible conversations and relationships saying, sister, I see you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's, it's that community of amazing women around the world that I'm privileged to love and be loved by. And then my own personal like healing practices and embodiment practices that have really, um, nurtured and nourished me and and remothered me um but there's something you know in in the recognition of the grief that my mom your mom our collective mothers may never ever be able to give us the things that we need or say the things we need to hear yeah um we can't just bypass that grief because our happiness and our joy is waiting on the other side of that grief And that grief is nonlinear and we're going to get triggered for the rest of our lives. Uh, But we're also um, responsible for resourcing ourselves during that. And so I actually just had this really triggering conversation with my mom the other week where I was so excited to share a vision and a dream of mine with her that I thought she was totally going to love and support because she had kind of helped plant the seed about a year ago for it. And, um, and she looked at me with bewilderment and the whole conversation did not go well. And I was just so confused and I came home and I was crying Mm -hmm. and you know, as a doula, I hold a lot of babies. And so I'm constantly in this like motion of like holding a baby up and patting their bat or, you know, soothing them, tapping their butt. And, And so I like, I literally placed my left hand on my heart and my right hand over that. And I just started to tap my heart. Like I was tapping a baby's bottom and I was saying the things that I thought a mother would say, which is mm. like, it's okay. It's okay, sweet one. I'm here. You're loved. You're safe. All is well. And then what I heard arise from within me, from the little girl in me was, you know what? It's not okay. Mm. And I've been really sitting with that practice of acknowledging her and not trying to do what I think so mother, so many mothers often do in moments of emotional vulnerability or expression or even crisis, which is like, it's fine, it's fine. And kind of brush things under the rug or use avoidance or denial or deflection as 
<clears throat> tactics um, because they don't actually know how to just sit in the soup of vulnerability. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, right? And it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And yet, when I think back to all of my moments holding women's hands in television or um, kids in Patagonia or, you know, crazy intense situations as a therapist, and even now to me, mamas as a doula, I, there is nothing more freeing or liberating than to be that solid object in the room for a woman who's just like, what the fuck do I do? Mm. And to look her in the eyes and go, yeah, it's really hard. And I hear that it's hard. Can we just sit in the hardness right now? Mm. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not let it, not need for that, for that to be different. Like, and that, I really have to say that Koya has been a huge shift in my own experience of that. Mm. Because in Koya, we say there's no way you can do it wrong. Mm. Yeah. You know? And like, I think the mother-daughter relationship is so tender because we feel like as we're growing up, like there's a right or a wrong way um, to behave or to perform or to be in order to receive love from this person who gave life to us. And I know for me, I was constantly putting my center of control outside of myself onto her and kind of like codependently dancing around, like, how can I be this perfect little daughter for you? Mm -hmm. And it's like, actually... It's not about her. It's about me and learning how to be authentically, unapologetically myself and saying to the little girl inside, like, it's really okay that it's not okay. Mm. And the more I give her space and actually just listen to what she needs, the wounding dissipates <laughs> so much faster. Mm. And when I listen to her, voice um over over the years she has guided me to people and places to experience that remothering like in a really tangible physical way mm -hmm. so that my my body and my nervous system could know it as true and what I mean by that is you know as I shared earlier in the podcast like here I was this like Irish American white girl feeling like she was born in the wrong body in the wrong family going like, come on, like, where's the flavor in life? <laughs> <laughs> and like these ancestral messages that like, oh yeah, you're just like a stereotypical like Irish family of like drunkards and you just Irish workhorses and yeah, there's not really great food or anything to be proud of if you're Irish unless you're, you know, St. Patrick's Day and then we just move on. And then, and you know, as common with a lot of immigrant stories, like, my grandfather would always say, oh, the smart ones left Ireland. <laughs> it's just like the smart ones left. And so you're perpetuating this legacy of, of running away. Mm. And I realized at a certain point, like if I was ever going to fully heal my own wounding, my own like uh, sense of mm, soul loss and, and identity, um, I'm really belonging in the world. I was going to have to stop running away from the thing that I thought was so boring or dissonant and, and go look at it. Mm. And life has a funny way of helping me to make those decisions before I even, you know, I'm consciously ready of doing that. And, um, and so the two things happened, which was I really got pushed out of the Bay area and the hustle of just like trying to survive in San Francisco and 
And I decided to move back to North Carolina, um, to the mountains of North Carolina and Asheville. And I swore I would never come back to my home state. Mm. And yet there I was. And not only did I live in Asheville, but then after about a year there, I felt the portal gates of that town closing in on me going, okay, now you really have to go home, home, not just to the state, but like actually to the town, the towns that you grew up in. Mm. And so about a year ago, I drove down the mountain to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina and had no clue what was happening in my life or why I was being guided to go back home. Um, and then a series of synchronicities occurred for me to realize that I was really actually meant to stay in Raleigh, Durham. And, um, but in order to complete that knowing, I had to go back to the home of the home. Mm. And I got a pretty clear call from my inner child to go to Ireland. And something profound happened for me there. And I want to say too, like, um, many of my family members have gone back to Ireland multiple times and they've invited me and I've always said no, uh, because I had a real strong sense that I needed to go for myself mm-hmm. and to experience it, not just as a tourist, but really as a soul pilgrim to know why had I chosen to be born into this lineage, into this skin and this time and from this earth. Right. And, um, So I went and I'll never forget like flying into the Dublin airport. I just couldn't hold back the tears. Mm. And from the second I landed on Irish soil, I knew in my cells, I was home. Mm. And everywhere I went, I just cried for two weeks. It didn't matter where I went (laughs) and who I was with. I just cried. It was, um, the deepest sense of belonging that I have ever felt outside of when I'm dancing. Mm. I finally saw people who looked like me. I looked into blue eyes after blue eyes everywhere I went. I heard incredible witty uh, stories and banter and song and um, like really rich folklore and tradition and ritual um, and celebration of life and aliveness. Um, I witnessed so much beauty, so much abundance, so much magic. I mean, like seriously, my ancestors rolled out the red carpet. I can't tell you how many meals I had paid for me just because. Amazing. Um, how many just like synchronistic meetings with random people in, in the pubs because I was traveling alone for the most part. And um, I just. Uh, like I finally got it when I was there that I, I come from a place and from a people to be very proud of Mm. and that the Irish people are incredibly resilient. They are incredibly passionate and bright and actually very deep feelers and thinkers and Mm. artists and poets And, um, and I really witnessed through a series of conversations and also experiences I had how hard it has been to live in that country for such a long time. And it finally dawned on me that like, 
I actually wouldn't be here if my ancestors hadn't left. Mm. And so I could understand why my grandfather had said all those years, like the smart ones left, the smart ones left. Mm -hmm. Um, But something happens. This mother wound inside us becomes kind of like a haunted ghost where I experience for myself if I'm always just running away from something um, and I never return, then I'm just in the constant state of running. Mm -hmm. And I, I never actually get to come home and, and know that I belong somewhere. And something really deep happened for me when I got back from Ireland, I actually went to go have dinner with my mom and it was probably the best conversation. It was probably the best time I've ever had with my mom in my entire 34 years on the planet. Mm. We just sat in this restaurant and poured a glass of wine and laughed and cried and shared stories. And like, on some level, even though my mom and I don't actually share the same language about a whole lot of things, that we did. Mm. And it was primal, Michelle. Um, and it was deeply healing. And, and I think there was a lot of forgiveness mm. that came through that. Um, and it really charged me to come back to my hometown and to know know my belonging in the world, know my purpose, know my beauty, know my strength, and, and really know my worth. And, and I think like on a metaphysical level, um, it was almost like I saw the umbilical cord that existed between me and my family here in the States and the womb of Ireland mm. that had been broken and cut over so many generations was now being restored. Mm. Wow. Like when you were sharing, just like when you were, you know, visiting Ireland and like the word that came through for me was that you just reclaimed, like there's something like reclamation of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. It was a, a deep reclaiming. Yeah. Um, and so in the beginning, when we first started the conversation, you were saying how you can heal your relationship with your mom, uh, either directly or through, um, through like the collective mother. Mm-hmm. So was that for you going back, or not going back, but visiting Ireland? Was that like for you, that was the healing for like one of the threads? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was. Um, you know, I, I think because because I don't think that my mom ever felt growing up, I and mean, she grew up pretty poor in New Jersey in a super Irish Catholic family. I don't think that she ever felt proud of where she came from, mm. and I think she was running away from that for a long time. And so, I feel like as the good Scorpio that I am, I had to get to the root of the root of the root. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and what I was reclaiming for myself, but also all those who came before me and all those who will come after me is like a real sense of, of pride, mm. you know, and it has nothing to do with the money in our bank account and how impoverished we may have been for so many generations or where we are now. Um, but it was really, truly from stepping foot on that earth 
the Irish soil is some of the most abundant earth I've ever seen. It is so lush and so green and so fertile. And the cows and the sheep that roam that earth so freely are wise, wise beings. And the people who tend to those animals are truly divine people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, and I think also something happened for me, which was that I witnessed the generosity of a people, like a, like a true hand outstretched towards me um, in a way that was like almost overwhelming. Mm. You know, like when I said I had so many meals paid for me and crazy, beautiful gifts bestowed uh, in transportation and all sorts of things, it was like, you are one of us mm. and we would give you anything because you're a part of this fabric. Mm. And, um, and I don't have to go all the way down to Chile and Patagonia to know that I belong somewhere. Like, yeah. like it's right here in my blood. Right. It's like you already belong. It's just seeing belong. that. Yeah. 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 Mm. So good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, as I'm just kind of sitting with it in this moment, I'm, I'm feeling that it's an incredible privilege to go back to one's ancestral homeland. Mm -hmm. And for a multitude of reasons, many immigrants will never be able to. And, and so I don't take that privilege lightly. You know, I'm aware that I get to go back to Ireland anytime I want to now and learn from my ancestral mothers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that it's mm, these fractures that happen in waves of immigration around the world um, create fractures in our psyche and in our somatic bodies. And they keep getting repeated until someone in the lineage says, <clears throat> that stops here. Yeah. You know? Totally. And often that person in the family looks like the black sheep. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I really, really identify with that archetype. Um, I, I mean, I literally just speak a different language than my family. Mm -hmm. and, um, and yet they're the perfect family for me there's something to push up against so that I do the healing work that I'm here to do on the planet mm -hmm. um, for myself, but also like for the larger community. Yeah. I mean, the more we, you know, heal ourselves on the journey, the more the collective heals. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I'll just say too, is like going to Ireland and then also coming back to live in North Carolina, um, and, and as a result, feeling like this, this sense of self belonging in a way I never had enables me to look at the people, places, and things that have wounded me in the past, um, with appreciation, mm -hmm. with respect, with understanding, with compassion, um, with far less judgment. And ironically, with far less of a need to actually be seen and heard and held by them mm. because I'm doing that on my own now. Yeah. And that's real. 
And so I feel, feel like I wanted to share with your listeners that everyone has a different gateway into this healing, you know, and like for some people, it might literally be talk therapy for five years about talking about all the things that happened between you and your mom. And like, that's going to do it for you. And for me, I knew that that was not my way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so physically moving around and touching down with the earth grid and, um, and being surrounded by powerful people who were also on a healing path and who didn't want to escape their bodies, but wanted to get in their bodies as the gateway to that healing, mm-hmm. whether it was in relationship to the mother or not, you know, um, has just been so powerful for me. Um, and then of course now as a doula, like supporting new life coming into the world, I tell moms that um, I really feel like being a doula is ancestral healing work. Mm, I believe that. Yeah. And that it's, it's social activism work. Because if you can sit with a mom while she still has baby in utero and talk about what are the things that happen between her and her mom or her family or, mm. and, and you may not even go that direct. You might just say like, what are some of your fears? you know, what keeps you up at night? Or what are you, what are you worried about <clears throat> in the world? And then really starting to interview that woman about, well, do you want to pass those worries down to your baby? Mm. <clears throat> and saying, you actually have a choice. We all have a choice at every moment to decide what our, what our frequency is, what our reality is, what our vibration is. <clears throat> and and babies are pure energy, right? So they're just receiving that energetic current of the mother nonstop in utero and in the postpartum as well. And so for a woman to not feel like ashamed of her history or her fears or her neuroses, but to go, wow, I feel empowered to actually make a shift and to know that that heals not just me, but my baby and my baby's baby. Mm, so good. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's infinite ways to do that. It can be really simple and it can also be super multidimensional. <laughs> you know, it can, you know, like sometimes I just envision like placing hands on a mom's womb and just saying a very simple prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I just, I let go of anything that doesn't belong to me across mm-hmm. all time and space dimension and throughout the multiverse and anything of, you know, lower frequency or energy or thought that is not mine. I just gift that back to the earth or I gift it up to the light of consciousness or to source. However you, you know, pray and take a deep breath in and then let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And trust that that's enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, as, cause we, what, where are we? Uh, <laughs> we've been talking for a while. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. I can talk forever. Um, so for your work, um, can people like, do you, are you virtual? Like how can people work with you? Like, you know, how's, um, where can people have access to you? Yeah. Um, well, like on a literal level, you can find me at sarahbrianne.org because my full name is Sarah Brian Grady. And that's uh, Sarah Lynch and then B-R-Y-A-N-N-E dot org. And, um, you know, I, I talk about 
these womb transmissions um, mm-hmm. through a body of work I created called the Seven Sacraments of the Goddess. And each sacrament um, is a way to come back into greater balance and harmony um, within yourself, within your body, within your relationships, and with the earth um, as a companion to actual birth work. Um, mm. And so if you're working with me and I'm, I'm your doula, you know, often I do two prenatal visits uh, where we talk about like your, your birth needs. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I do an ancestral healing session. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And we, we really go into the energetics. We start to talk about what are some of the stories that got passed down to you from your mom about, I mean, about anything really, what are the stories that you're carrying? And, um, and then we start to move some of the ener- energies around mm. that and start to rewrite the stories and then that, that can even shift how a birth happens. You know, a woman who was really unconsciously like clenching her entire body now has more relaxation and may have a less traumatic birth. She may have a, a faster birth. She may be in a more meditative state. I mean, all sorts of things can shift on a physiologic level after we do this more ancestral energetic piece. Wow. I love hearing that. Yeah. 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 And, um, and there's rituals we can do, you know, um, uh, baby blessing ways and then also mother blessing ways where really mm. the, the village of women around this blessed mother come around and reflect back to her strengths, mm. her beauties, um, their prayers for her, their knowings for her um, so that she knows she's not alone as she's about to cross into this threshold Mm. this you know powerful rite of passage because when a woman births a baby she's also birthing herself as a mother yeah that's I love that yeah Yeah. and then in the postpartum you know it's a real opportunity to also support that woman uh, with other rituals and and one of them you know I learned through through Koya actually it's an ancient Mayan ritual called wrapping the bones I don't do I know that one Wrapping the bones. Um, we do it in the Koya intensive, so it's the okay. third training. Okay. Um, but it originates uh, with the the Maya people, mm. and essentially what it is is after a woman gives birth, you know, there's so much focus and attention on the baby, but the Maya really said, "Well, this woman needs to also feel like she's been held and yeah. and back in the womb," and so um, a woman who just gave birth will lie down or in this case, any woman, you can just do this as a ritual to feel held and remothered, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're going to want to gather about three to five blankets and um, let's see, two, four people in addition to the woman who's receiving. And as this woman lies down and receives, there's a woman at her foot, her feet. There's a woman at her head, kind of cradling her head, neck, mm-hmm. and shoulders. And then there's a woman on each side of her. and the, the women at her feet and at her head are really just like holding space for her. Hands are placed on those parts of the body and they're sustained there, the whole ritual. And and they're moving energy throughout her system and they're also intuiting any messages from spirit, from angel, mm-hmm. from ancestors, images that come through, messages. Um, the two women on the side move from the feet all the way up to the shoulders, literally wrapping fabric around the woman. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so you'll take like a blanket and the women will cross it across the mm-hmm. body and then they'll, they'll rock the body. 
um, like you would rock a baby and then they'll intuit when it's time to stop the rocking and then move up the body to the next blanket. Oh, wow. And so they cross and they wrap and they rock and they keep doing this all the way up the body so that the the woman literally feels like she's now completely uh, encased, almost like a mummy, but like in her own womb space. Mm. And she can stay in the space for as long as she needs to feel held. And then when she intrinsically feels like it is time to emerge and integrate this new being that she is, she begins to sit up and takes the blankets off of her. And the two women, you know, the one at her feet and the one at her head will now sit, um, you know, on either side of her and she sits in between them with her, you know, legs open and they embrace her and hug her and rock her. And, um, and then they will share with her any messages from spirit that came through. That is so beautiful. I love that it's part of Koya. Yes. I was so (laughs) grateful to learn it. I think when I learned it, it had just been added to the curriculum for training and I was so blessed and um, and I've done it for seven sacraments of the goddess workshops mm. and other day longs that I've taught. And it's hands down the thing that people talk about the most. Yeah. I mean, that is, even me picturing it and seeing it in my mind, I'm like, I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I could feel how nourishing that would be. Yeah. 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 You know, also like we live in a touch deprived society in the West. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, part of my mother wounding was that like, I couldn't take my mom's breast milk. Mm. And I couldn't figure out what milk would work for me. Like I couldn't handle the formula and I couldn't handle soy and I forget what they ended up landing on, but it was a real like source of contention at such Mm. an early stage in my life. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily get that physiologic bonding with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I think my whole life, not that that was the whole reason, but I think it played a part in where my whole life I've really craved and needed touch Mm. in order to feel safe and held and belonging in the world. Yeah. And so this ritual is one of those beautiful ways of receiving that. Um, It's just like the biggest hug from the cosmic mother you could ever (laughs) imagine. And you know, like I'm not a mother yet myself. I hope to be someday, but I'm just like, wow, I feel like I just birthed three babies and (laughs) conquered the world after this ritual. Boom, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I guess the thing I want to say is like about that too is, um, you know, it's a Mayan ritual from South America. It's not an Irish traditional pagan ritual. Um, but it, it has been a profound access point for me. Mm-hmm. And through that access point um, of now knowing like, what is it that I need to feel nourished and mothered and held, then I can go and resource my own ancestors later with yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so anyone who's navigating this, this mother wound and this remothering process, like just trust um, the signs and signals that your body and that your spirit is giving you about what your access points are for the healing and then let the rest unfold. That is so beautiful. I love, I love that. Cause like, there's no formula. There's no, here's the checklist. It's no. really like what your soul's calling you mm-hmm. to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I feel called to share a poem. Please do. 
okay. I, um, and then that's probably like all the time that we have, but I wrote a poem when I got back from my pilgrimage to Ireland. Mm, I would love to hear it. It, um, okay, great. Um, hmm. it's called motherland. Uh, and it was actually in the writing of this poem about a month after I got back from Ireland that I was able to integrate and understand that what I had just done was mother wound healing Mm. by going back to the motherland. And I know that seems really obvious, (laughs) but it hadn't been for me because I'd been running away from it for so long. Yeah. 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 Okay. So motherland, I am home and not because I live here, but because somehow by being here, everything about me seems to make more sense. Ireland, you are a constant DNA activation through tears, streaming hot and sweet down my face for reasons words are not required, and thank God it's because I don't think I could find them. All I seem to find are your moist green soils, salty Atlantic air with kickbacks of whiskey and kindness each time the tide changes, helping me to remember the root of the root of the root. I see my name everywhere. I taste the flavors of my childhood obsessions as if raspberry and rhubarb were proper spirit guides, guiding me to pleasure and nourishment in an otherwise faint daily haunting of lack. Mama, what does it mean to be a member of your massive diaspora? I used to think it a boring whitewash of alcohol and fiery tempers, myths of the smart ones leaving and a removal of our culture to somehow answer the prayer of safety and belonging in a place with more promise than the womb we left. But now I know I wouldn't be here if you hadn't left. And so I get to know you as a lineage of love, of profound resiliency, of magic and music and brown bread that sustains me, of a generosity deeper than anything I could have imagined. The kind people have gone so long without our only king to give. Ireland, you are piercing blue eyes and wry witty charm. You are double rainbows after the daily deluge of cleansing rain. You are cows that leave imprints in the earth for us to lay in when we have forgotten our way, forgotten our assignment to take up space. You are rocks and cliffs of limestone, highways diverted to honor the fairy home. You are hills of kings and portals to the goddess queens. You are so beautifully flawed and human, ancient and adolescent in your bones of guilt and shame. I have spent decades running away from you, only to realize that the ancestral programming got skewed and at some point I became the ancestral prayer to shift our running away into running towards, running with, running through a circuit of belonging that can only ever be felt by running home to the place your people come from, the very place imprinted in your DNA and say, thank you, but I will take it from here. I will gather your weary running bones and sing over them a prayer for rest, of a release of running, a return of remembering, a declaration that there is enough now. We are enough now and always have been. Our slavery to work, our self-slavery to keep us in line with enoughness is ready for compost, ready for death, so that the lives we lead are like a deep breath that settles into the belly 
of the heart and declares, joy is safe now. May our bodies be a landscape of joy and may this joy be like a lighthouse leading us home again and again. This is how we heal the mother wound. We can't keep running away from her. We must run home towards her, consciously choose to stay in our bodies, stare her deep into the heart of her womb and let go. Let her hold you. Let her wipe away your tears. Let her help you remember the importance of running out so you can truly receive the blessing of running home to your belonging. And there is never not belonging, child, only your choice to receive it. So let us sing over the bones and come home now. You've done enough running. Mm. I had so many chills. That was so <laughs> beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. There are so many beautiful women doing remothering work in the world. So know that there are so many resources. Bethany Webster is an amazing one. Uh, Sarah Durham Wilson. She talks about moving from the maiden archetype to the mother and what it really means to rise as mother in your life. Um, you know, there are other women doing powerful work that are indirectly healing this wound. Um, so I'm not alone in it and trust that um, the right people and the right resources will find you. Thank you so much. And I will definitely share your information um, and I'll link the other ones that you mentioned. Um, and I'm just, thank you for sharing your journey, your story and your vulnerability. It's such an honor to have you here. And I just, I hope all the listeners just delight in you. <laughs> thank you joy. so much, sisters. Yeah. Thank you. It's such a joy and an honor and a privilege to be in connection mm. with you in this lifetime. And just thank you for all the work that you do on the planet. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So everyone who's listening, please share, um, share this episode and you can tag us both on Instagram and, um, and what's your Instagram handle? At Sarah Brianne Grady. Okay. And then mine is at Michelle Wong.xo and, uh, yeah, feel free to share and comment and, um, thank you so much, everybody. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Join our free private Facebook group community, Sacred Emergence, to receive more connection, guidance, and support. And take part in our five-day inner confidence challenge to not only boost your confidence, but to help activate your inner leadership. Details in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you in advance for sharing this with others who can benefit. Until next time.